to the Run, Eat, Repeat podcast. If you love running or eating, you'll love this show. Now, here's your host, Monica Olivas. Hello, this is Monica, and I will be your virtual running buddy for today. If you're new here, I started runeatrepeat.com about 10 years ago to document training for my first full marathon and trying to lose about 20 pounds. I accidentally fell in love with running, and a lot of people, I think, accidentally started reading my blog, but that was a good thing. And now 30 marathons, about 50 half marathons later, it's my full-time job and also this podcast. So I am super excited you're here. I have a great episode. I am talking with Sandy Sagawa all about how she hit her PR and qualified for the Boston Marathon at the Revel Mount Charleston Marathon recently. After a few disappointing races and BQs that weren't fast enough to get her to actually register for the race, she changed up a few things during this marathon training, and now she's faster than ever, and she seems to love running more now than ever. She just seems super positive and confident, and I'm very excited to kind of ask her all of the tips and secrets from what she did differently this training cycle. But before we go there, let's warm up. Okay, for today's warm up, I have about three things that I want to cover quickly before we get into the interview. First, the 21 day stretch challenge is on now. And if you haven't signed up yet, you are still invited. You can check out a link in the show notes to get the full calendar. Today's stretch is a side stretch, and I will post that up in the show notes and on Instagram. And I kind of walk you through how to do it. I'm not going to do it right now because you should be stretching after you're warm, after your workout is over. And I'm assuming since this is the first part of the warm up that you are not warm yet. So you can check it out and do it at the end of your run. Next, I'm working with Massage Envy right now. And I actually did one of their new assisted stretch sessions. And I have a blog post up. I'll put a link to it in the show notes about my thoughts on that. Obviously, I'm doing this stretch challenge. I am very pro stretch and I don't do it enough. So I was really excited to try this out. And I have a lot of thoughts on that post so you can check it out. But I just kind of wanted to talk about it because it was very cool. I think of getting stretched by someone, something that professional athletes do, right? You kind of see sometimes you'll watch a documentary or I don't watch a lot of sports. I know that's really shocking. Not at all. But yeah, I'm trying to think of outside of, I must have seen some random B-roll from, I don't know, different sports, different little profiles on athletes that I've seen, maybe during the Olympics at least, where their trainer or coach or whoever is kind of helping them stretch. And I know I saw it in my one of my favorite marathon movies, Spirit of the Marathon, where Dina Castor, her husband, is helping her stretch. And... It's just something that I couldn't really relate to. It's not something I would see myself doing, but it is amazing. It made me feel super fancy, first of all, because when or why would I ever get help stretching, right? It just seems so for someone that is at this elite level, but it was really awesome and Probably my favorite part about it is because someone else is helping you stretch and they are not necessarily your coach. If you're going into Massage Envy and this is your first time trying it, you need to tell them 
when you've reached a point where the stretch is most beneficial to you. So they give you kind of a scale, one to 10 scale of how much is the stretching you? If it's not enough, you know, they can kind of push you more. If it's too much, they'll back off because you don't want to get injured. But my favorite thing about it is it makes you really in tune with your body, be super self-aware. And I am so big on this that you really need to listen. And I haven't said this in a while, so I'll say it again. If you listen when your body whispers, you won't have to hear it scream. And so it is this very obvious exercise that you are doing when you are stretching with someone else and checking in constantly with the muscles that you're stretching to see how they're feeling. And it's something that you should be doing other times too. When you are running, when you're stretching after a run, if you are doing any cross training, if you are walking around the park and one ankle is for some reason suddenly bugging you, check in with that and see why is my body telling me this? Also, when you're hungry or when you're tired, um, when a workout is harder than normal, what is my body telling me? I just like that it was a good reminder of how important it is to gauge how your body is feeling. And like I said, I will put a link to that post in the show notes. And finally, I just wanted to mention my race discounts page um, because the race that Sandy recently ran that she did amazing on is part of a series, the Revel Race series. And I have discount codes for that on that page. So if that's something that kind of piques your interest and also the Lexus Lace Up Race series, I have a code for that. I think it's RER10 for a discount. And yeah, races can be expensive and running gear and all of those things. So I always say check that page before you register for a race to see if you can get a discount, save some money, right? And now let's get into the main event. Today, I'm talking with Sandy Sagawa. She's run 13 full marathons, 36 half marathons, a couple relay races, and recently qualified for the Boston Marathon for the third time. She lives and runs in Southern California. Sandy hit her new PR and BQ at Revel Mount Charleston, a marathon just outside of Las Vegas, Nevada. This training cycle, she did a lot of hard work to run an amazing race, and it really helped her hit her goal. She trained differently and incorporated mental training, which she says really helped. I'm really excited to share what she did to get faster, run stronger, and happier. So let's go. Sandy, I am super excited to talk to you about your recent PRBQ at Rebel. Was it Mount Charleston? Charleston, uh huh. Mount Charleston. I just want to call it Vegas, <laughs> but um, Mount Charleston, which is just outside of Vegas. But before we kind of get into how you did that, how long have you been running, and how did you kind of get started running? Well, I started running um, back in 2010, and it was just a uh, running in the gym on the treadmill to try to lose weight. And then um, one of my coworkers asked me, like, why are you running on a treadmill? You should go out and run outdoors. And eventually she convinced me to sign up for a half marathon. I recently, I, I think that I just said this recently. I was, on, I was interviewed for another podcast and I almost told, they asked me this question and I almost told this exact story. It was, it was very, very similar. Oh. But I, I started with the 10K, but I was just on a treadmill. Okay, so cool. So you did. So you went straight to a half marathon. Yes, um, I signed up for the Disneyland half marathon in 2010, and actually, so I didn't have a goal or anything. I was just 
really nervous about it. And I just wanted to finish it. And I surprised myself. I ran a 150. Amazing. Then I got brave. And then three months later, I signed up for my first full marathon in Vegas. Boom. You went straight to it. Three months later? Yeah, I figured I was already training for it. And I thought, well, if I can do that, maybe I can run a marathon too. So I, I got brave and I did it. That is awesome. And how did that go? Um, it, the same thing. I didn't have a, a goal. I just uh, wanted to finish. And I ran my first marathon in a 405. This is so awesome. And was that when Vegas was still in the morning? Yes. Okay. I haven't I haven't ever ran the night. I like the day so much better. I've never tried the night. But yeah, that was when Vegas was still during the day. Yeah, I've only done the half. I'm a morning runner. So I do it just as an excuse to go to Vegas. But I would not do the full <laughs> in the afternoon. Oh, no. Yeah, I don't think I could either. Ugh, that's rough. But so did you do any races between the first half and your first full? Did you do anything else in training? No, I just basically built up my long runs and just, you know, trained to be able to cover the marathon distance. Perfect. And so it went well, like you crossed the finish line of your first full marathon. And how did you feel? Uh, I said I was never doing that again. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I said I'm never doing this well. At that time, it was like the hardest thing I had ever done. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but the, the, what I remember most about that first marathon was that I, since I didn't have any goal and I wasn't running under any pressure, I, I didn't hit the wall and I just ran. I, it was probably the the best marathon experience I've ever had. The first one. It was my first one. Whoa, yes. that's awesome. I love that. And so after that, you said you're never going to do it again. And yet I find you here now. So how did that kind of keep going? Were you bit by the bug? Yep. And then everybody was talking, oh, wow, you ran a 405. You should try to run under four hours. <laughs> so then that became my new goal. And then I signed up again. And then I ran Long Beach and I ran a 405 again. Exactly. Like very, very close in time. Yep. I think I ran like maybe 10 or 15 seconds slower than the first one. Mm-hmm. Were and you super disappointed? Again. Um. Yeah, I, I mean, I thought that Long Beach was a harder course than uh, Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I was kind of disappointed. But then it kind of motivated me like, gosh, just five minutes. Like, I have to, I have to try to do this. And then I signed up for another one. And I, um, my third marathon, I finally ran under four hours at Mountains to Beach. I ran a 349 there on my third one. Oh, you rocked that. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. I love that. So... How many marathons have you done at this point? 12. Whoa. Okay. So you were kind of on a roll. And after you hit the sub four, did you have another goal to like do more marathons, hit, just keep chasing down another time goal? Uh, you know, at that time when I was first running marathons, I didn't know what the whole Boston thing was about. I didn't even, well, until I ran that third marathon, then I started kind of thinking about it. And at that time, my um, qualifying time was a 345. <laughs> but I never really got brave enough to try to run a 345. I kept running the marathons, but I just never felt confident that I could hit a 345. Mm-hmm. So I kind of just kept running. I never really took a shot at that. And then I kind of waited until my qualifying time went down. And then I started thinking about really trying to qualify for Boston. 
And what is your qual- what did your qualifying time go down to? 3:55. Okay. And when was the first time you kind of went for that goal? Uh, the first time I went for it was at Mountains to Beach in 2016. And I did BQ on my first try, but only by a minute and 12 seconds. So I missed the cutoff. I think the cutoff that year was like 220 something and I missed it. Okay. And but so for people that don't know, so you qualified by yes. the time, but there's so many people that want to sign up for the race. You don't necessarily get a chance to, you know, it kind of sells out basically before they get to your time, what you hit on your finishing time. Right. Okay. That sucks. Um, especially yeah. after all that work. So can you, do they let you kind of try again the next year? Do, is that time good for more than one year to register? Nope. They have a cutoff time for um, like a qualifying window. Mm-hmm. And once that passes, you have to try to requalify again the following year. Oh, okay. So you had to start from scratch basically and BQ all over again. Yes. Yes. Okay. So uh, in 2016, had you tried again before this most recent race? I tried again at Revel the following year in 2017. And I had like the worst race in my life. I mean, I, I did BQ again, but only by 46 seconds. I knew that wasn't going to get it. Mm-hmm. Was, I that just, Rebel, um, was that Revel Mount Charleston? So it was Mount Charleston. Okay. Uh-huh. I had like the worst leg cramps. I just, I don't know. I just, uh, I mean, there's a lot of factors that I realized had gone wrong for me during that race, which is kind of led me into making changes this last time around that I ran Rebel. Mm-hmm. Charleston. Good. I mean, so you had a really bad day last year and you came back to the same race to try and yes. chase it down again. Well, actually, I, I actually waited and then the race sold out because I just said, you know, I, was, I wasn't confident. Mm-hmm. I didn't feel like I could do it. I thought, wow, that's a downhill race. Like everybody was qualifying for Boston and I was like the only one who I still qualified, but I didn't run good enough time Mm -hmm. so after that I kind of went into a like a a slump with running and kind of took a break and just gave myself some time off to kind of get myself back together and then eventually I decided to start training again make some changes and then try again Mm -hmm. and so how long was your training plan for this recent Mount Charleston uh well like I mentioned I uh, I didn't sign up and the race sold out. So oh, I went okay. and signed up for, I signed up for mountains to beach. And that was actually my, my goal race. Mm-hmm. Um, I ended up getting a bib for um, a bib transfer for Mount Charleston um, in February, a couple months before the race. So um, I was, was running to, um, well, I was training for 16 weeks, but when I ran Mount Charleston, I'd only been training for eight. Oh, whoa. So I was kind of <laughs> This is very interesting. So you're saying that Mountains to Beach, and by the time this goes up, Mountains to Beach is going to have passed, right? Because it's this weekend. You were training for your big BQ this upcoming weekend. Yes. And because you got this lucky bib, which is literally a lucky bib, um, you were like eight weeks. So I have eight weeks, basically. Yes. Well. And I, but I had a solid base. I mean, mm-hmm. I felt comfortable going into it. It wasn't like a risky move where I hadn't been running and, you know, I was risking the injury. I, 
I, I felt like I had a good base. And once I found out I had the bib, I just, I only ran one twenty mile this time. Normally I run about five. Mm-hmm. So I felt comfortable going into it. And in the back of my mind, I felt like, you know, if I don't do it here, then I still have mountains to beach. Yeah. This would be a good run leading into mountains to beach. So I wasn't really worried about it. Uh-huh. Uh, awesome. I mean, it would have been nice if it would have happened there, but if it didn't, then I had something to fall back on. Oh, for sure. And that takes off so much pressure from it too. I wonder, do you yeah. feel like that factored in? Yeah, I wasn't, um, I wasn't really worried about, I mean, I wanted to do well, but I was thinking more that, you know, I had a backup. So if mm-hmm. it didn't happen, it didn't happen. Mm-hmm. And had you went into, I don't know, a previous race like that, do you think the more relaxed kind of less pressure on you helped on race day? Oh, I, I don't care how many marathons I ran. I am still nervous as heck. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, that, never, that never goes away. Uh-huh. And I think I was still nervous on race day, but it was more like the bus ride up there took longer than it. We remember it taking. So by the time we got up there, we had 10 minutes to use the bathroom and we're all scrambling. So it was more like pressure at the last minute. The weather was a big factor this year too. It was towards the end of the race. It was um, supposed to hit the eighties. Oh, wow. So I, so I was kind of nervous about those kinds of things versus the actual race itself. Mm -hmm. And did you use, or I guess what training plan were you using? Well, prior to um, Mount Charleston, I used to um, strictly follow the run less, run faster plan. Mm-hmm. I like it because it's, you know, it fits my schedule. It's not a high mileage plan. It's usually about 25 to 30 miles per week. Mm-hmm. And every run kind of has a purpose. So um, I'd always follow that. And it worked for me. But um, this time around, I kind of felt like, um, you know, maybe I needed to change something. I mean, I was doing well with the plan, but I wasn't achieving the times that I was setting out to run. I was always coming up a little bit short. Mm-hmm. So this time around, I kind of mixed up two plans or not plans, but I kind of took, I stuck with the run less, run faster plan, but I kind of incorporated some of the runs and strategies from McMillan running. Okay. Super interesting. And um, in case anyone doesn't know, the Run Less, Run Faster plan is a three-day-a-week hard workout, right? Is is that how you would describe it? Mm-hmm. Like, I, I think of it as, like you were saying, every run has a purpose. It is you are doing speed work, a tempo run, and a long run with a specific pace. Like, it is very, it's yeah. not, it's never, you're not going to see that little graph of week to week and it just say eight for eight miles it is going to tell you exactly what you need to do and how fast you need to do it but you also incorporated um you said the mcmillan plan some aspects of it well what i um one of the things that i was having trouble with with the um run less run faster plan was the speed work um i prefer to do it on the track but the track that's closest to my house it the hours that the track stays open or don't fit in with my schedule. I commute 80 miles a day to work. So I leave when it's dark and I come home when it's dark most of the time. So by then the, it's, it's either not open or, or they shut the gates and they shut those gates when it's time to close. So mm-hmm. um, this time around, I did something different. Um, I swapped out hills for the speed work. So that you could have the flexibility to kind of run them anywhere or on the treadmill well, or. Well, well, no, I um, I have a hill that I like to run. And everybody always, I hear a lot of people saying, you know, 
heel work is speed work in disguise. Mm -hmm. So I started training on um, a heel that's over here near my house. Um, It's a pretty challenging heel, at least it is for me. And when I first started running it, it was hard. Like I was out of breath. My pace was slow, but I just kept working at it. And I feel like that really benefited me more than the speed work. Like it was just challenging for me and it just kind of gave me something to work towards because I started running it faster and faster every time. So I, that's one of the things that I did different. I swapped out the, the speed work for more heel training. Uh-huh. And did you change up um, how many times you were doing that? Were you kind of doing repeats on it or what did you do on the hill? Nope, oh, just straight up the hill. Awesome. Straight up. And how do you think that affected your um, performance in general? Do you think it made you faster, stronger? Do you Could you tell the difference between the previous times of doing the training plan? Yeah, I think it made me a lot stronger. Um, normally, to be honest with you, I hate heels. And I've, if there was a race that had heels, I didn't want to sign up for it. Mm-hmm. I was really mm-hmm. intimidated by them. So I figured it was time for me to change things and kind of face my fears. And like now, if I run a race that has heels, I'm, you know, it's more of a challenge for me and I kind of enjoy it. I'm not as intimidated as I was before. And when you run the hills and you're running either a, you know, a flat course or rolling hills course, it's a lot easier. You Mm -hmm. don't, you you just uh, envision yourself running up the big hill that you train on. And, you know, when you're running a race that, has some hills in it, it really doesn't seem that bad anymore. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot to be said about confidence too, right? In that in mindset, because sometimes when you're at a race, I know, like I will see a hill in the distance and be like, I cannot, you know, like you already (laughs) start thinking because you see it coming, obviously. And it's just like, that's not necessarily the case. If you already know, like I run hills like this all the time, I, I can get this. Yeah, that's what I'd always, I mean, for me, I'm a big person on, like, if I can do something during my training and it goes well on race day, I kind of put myself back in that situation and it helps me get through it. Mm -hmm. Like putting myself back in the good, uh, the times where I had good training ones or the times that I had good races. And it just kind of helps me be more confident and push through. Mm -hmm. And so where were you in the training plan? when you went to go do Mount, Mount Charleston? Cause you said you had, you had done one twenty miler. Yeah. I think I had, when I got the bib, I was right around long runs around maybe 13 to 15 miles. Uh-huh. And then I kind of just worked myself up from there. Awesome. And did you have time Until to taper? A, not really. Okay. <laughs> I was a little nervous about that too. I did. I didn't really taper. I, I didn't really have time to. Uh-huh. I wonder, though, because of the fact that it was relatively a short training cycle, if you weren't overtrained at all, you know how they always say it's better to be 10% undertrained than 1% over. Mm -hmm. And the fact that it was kind of a shorter training cycle, maybe you were kind of okay with less of a taper. Uh, That, yeah, that could be part of it. But I think, I mean, I I did a lot of things different. I mean, Mm -hmm. it, it was a lot of changes this time around even though I had a short training cycle I really was working hard to prepare myself for to, for trying to to BQ because I knew this time at one minute 46 seconds that wasn't going to do it and I was kind of getting to the point where I just wanted to do it like mm-hmm. get this over with 
So I wanted to at least have a five minute cushion. Uh-huh. So like, cause every time it would come to signing up and, you know, I was like, Oh, what's, what's the cutoff going to be? What's the cutoff going to be? And I kind of got tired of that. I said, you know what? It's either I'm going to make changes and do it or not going to happen. Love it. Love it. So what did you do different? This training cycle. Oh, this, this, you know, a lot of these things probably sound weird, but they really worked for me. So I'll just kind of give you a rundown of like some of the key things that I did this time that really made a difference for me. Um, I go to work really early in the morning. So in order to get my runs in, I have to do all my runs before work. Usually when I do your check-in, I always say I ran six miles before work. Mm -hmm. That means getting to the gym at four o'clock in the morning. So most of my um, runs during the week, I'm doing those on a treadmill. Uh, I'm not a big fan of the treadmill, but when it's only, when it's your only option to get your runs in, I mean, you kind of learn to like it. Um, what I, what I found was helpful for, for me on the treadmill was that it helps me hit the paces that I need to hit because you're setting that treadmill and you have to run it. Mm-hmm. I don't ever lower the speed. I don't stop. And then that's another thing too. You're not taking breaks. When I'm running on the streets, I'm hitting signals. So I'm taking breaks, but on that treadmill, you're going. So I think that's kind of helped me too to keep pushing and finishing, like build up endurance to keep going because that treadmill is moving and I never stop on the treadmill. I don't know why, but I just don't. I just keep on going till I'm done. Awesome. What time does your gym open? Four o'clock. Okay. Four a.m. You're like there when the doors open. And I have one hour to do it. Uh-huh. So I don't have time to stop. I have to get my run done, shower and get to work. I don't have time to, you know, like when I'm running outside, the signal's not, they take up a lot more time. Yeah. So you're out there longer than an hour and you can't really, I mean, there's nothing you can do about it. But on the treadmill, it's just straight through. Mm-hmm. I can get get it done in the time that I have, get to work, and then it's over with for the day. I'm done. Love it. Okay. Um, what else? Was there anything else you did different? Yeah. One of the biggest things um, that I'm going to say that I changed this time is I worked on my mental game. Um, in the past, I really struggled with believing in myself, and it's cost me a lot in races because I, anytime those negative thoughts slipped into my head, I didn't have a plan to fight back in those weak moments. I would just give in. I'd allow myself to walk. I'd allow myself to slow down. And I don't think a lot of us realize that um, our minds are such an important factor in reaching our running goals. And we don't train for that. I mean, I know I didn't. I don't know I mean, if a lot of people do, but I focused on so many other components of running, training plans, things like that, but I never realized how important um, my mental game was when it came to running, especially a marathon. Mm -hmm. Uh, When you're pushing your body to do something that difficult, those thoughts will creep into your head. I mean, they creep into mine every single time. So one of the most effective things that I've done is figuring out ways to fight those negative thoughts with with positive thoughts. Uh, This time I really worked on being more confident, telling myself that I could do it and I could do hard things. And I knew I'd put the work in, but if your mental game is off and you doubt yourself, then, you know, you're, you're kind of, you're kind of done. I mean, you have to believe in yourself and you've got to trust your training and you have to, you have to be prepared for those weak moments when they come. Uh-huh. So did you do that in that, training? Like if you were doing a hard training run, kind of just try to tell yourself positive things or what did that kind of look like when you were actually doing it? Well, what I actually did different also this time was I ran a a lot of half marathons 
And I didn't really push for PRs, but I started aiming at course PRs. Uh, what I was doing was I was using McMillan. They have uh, something called the running calculator. And what you do is you plug in like a recent race time and it'll spit out goal times that you should be able to hit based on um, your, just a, a previous race that you've done. Mm-hmm. So I kind of started using those to target the times that I would try to run because I really didn't know what I was capable of running. Like I, I really didn't know where I should start. Mm-hmm. So I started targeting those times. And when I hit those times, I'd plug in the next time and it would spit out numbers and it just kept getting harder and harder. And I, I, my confidence started coming back because I was actually hitting all of those, those times in the half marathon. I mean, they weren't PRs. They were times that I'd probably seen a few years ago, but my half time started slipping. I ran three half marathons in this training cycle and I, was able to do five to six minute course PRs on all three of those races. Oh, wow. That's awesome. And it, yeah. And it was during those races that I really pushed myself. Like they were, I mean, I was, my half marathon times had probably been stuck in like the 150, 152 range. These past three that I did, I was running anywhere from uh, 144 to 146 range, which I, they're not PRs, but they're just times that I, had never seen on the courses that I picked. And I just hadn't seen times like that in a long time. Mm-hmm. I and love that's it. when I was really, yeah, that's when I was really pushing myself. Like there were times where I did want to stop and there were times where I did want to walk. There were times where I, you know, like I was just, you know, felt like I couldn't do it, but I just kept telling myself, no, I mean, I'm one of those people that talks to themselves out on the course. People probably look at me and think I'm crazy, but <laughs> I talk to myself out loud, mm-hmm. you know, just to, you know, keep myself going and, you know, just to help myself push through. And these three races that I had, they were really strong races for me. Like I was running paces that I didn't think I was capable of hitting. I love it. And so when you were um, kind of, like you said, working on your mindset and being more positive, is this more of a pep talk or is it, I feel like so many people talk about like having a mantra or a word, a power word or something, but do you have something like that or is this something different? No, it's it's like that. Just telling myself, you can do this. You've done it before. You know, you can't give up. Yeah, just telling myself, if 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 those thoughts creep into my head thinking, oh, you can't do this, right away, I'd say, no, you can do this. You've done it before. Remember, um, you know, that training run that you had that went really well. You, you've ran this pace before, so you can do it. Mm-hmm. Just putting myself back into those good races or good training runs and just convincing myself that, yeah, you can do this because you've done it before. I love that. Do you think you had to use that or like practice it more in the half marathon races that you were doing? Or were you also doing this during long runs or particularly hard training runs? Yeah, I was doing it through all my training. Um, You know, I mean, the trainings, I mean, it's easier to slow down or take a break. But when you're out on the course in a race, you know, you don't, you you can't stop. I mean, Mm -hmm. you can, but you don't want to. So yeah, it was more during those races and then using those strong races that I had to push me through the training runs. And really when I ran Mount Charleston, like those were moments that I relied on to help me through. And when I was tired or when I, you know, felt like, you know, like I wanted to give up. Mm -hmm. I love that. And yeah, so you actually had to use it in race day. Did you, was there any particular point on race day where you just, kind of felt like maybe I can't do this and you talked yourself back up? 
You know, when I ran Mount Charleston this last time, I was really talking to myself the whole time. I mean, I had kind of a weird strategy to run this race. Mm-hmm. Um, I was worried about the weather at the end. So I thought, you know, I'm going to try to power through this for the first 20 miles. Um, I tried that my goal was to run 805 to 810 pace for those first 20 miles because I knew that the weather was going to affect me those last six miles. I'm awful in the heat. Mm-hmm. My goal was to hit that pace for the first 20 miles. And then if my pace slipped those last six miles, which it normally does, that I'd be okay. And I don't know how I did it, but just talking myself through it, um, by mile 20 of Mount Charleston, I was averaging an 806 pace. When I looked at my that same, like, I think it's the three-quarter mark in the uh-huh. race the previous year when I beat you by only 46 sec- um, seconds, I was averaging 840. Oh, wow. That is a huge difference. But I just got brave, you know, it's like you, you gotta, you gotta be confident and you have to try and you never know what you're capable of doing unless you try. Yeah. I mean, it, it was a gamble, but you know, how else will you know what you can do if you don't, if you're not willing to take a chance? For sure. I love that. Um, did you have music? Like, do you do anything else to kind of help keep your head in the game? Do you listen to music or? Uh, never listen to music. Nothing. Okay. Never. Even when I'm on training runs, I never listen to music. Uh huh. You mm-hmm. just are in your thoughts, in your head movies? Yep. I just kind of, I mean, kind of in the zone. I just, like, my husband tells me I run like a horse because half the time he's out on the course and I don't even see him. Uh-huh. I'm just like straightforward, just run. Like, he's screaming at me, waving at me. I don't even see him. <laughs> <laughs> Taking awesome yeah, pictures of you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I just focus and go. I love it. How did you, um, what do you fuel with during long runs during the actual marathon? Like when do you fuel and what are you using? Um, I go every five minutes. I mean, five miles, I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. And that's pretty much all that I do. I usually take salt tablets, but during this last Mount Charleston, I accidentally put my salt tablets in the check-in bag. Oh, I do that. So. But yeah, that's all I pretty much do. I mean, and this time too, which was different, I don't normally use the water stops because mm-hmm. I don't want to stop, but I actually did this time. I actually walked through um, all the water stops. I mean, I carry a bottle with me just in case, but that's the first time I ever did that too, walking through the water stops. Okay. And uh, I mean, were you afraid that that would slow you down or how did that kind of factor in? Uh, yeah, I was worried about it, but I, you know, I, I, I don't want to, I didn't want to carry a lot of stuff with me. Mm-hmm. Like normally I wear a belt and I have my phone with me and I have all this stuff. This time I said, nope, I'm not going to carry anything. I'm just going to carry my one little small bottle of water and my goo and that's it. Mm-hmm. Did you finish the race with your bottle of water or did you hand it yeah, off? Yeah, I put, no, no, I, it was with me when I finished. Well, it's a little like tiny running. It's not like an actual water bottle. It's a little mm-hmm. tiny bottle, but yes, yeah, I, I had it with me. I, I have actually I, had a guy in the course ask me like, why do you have that bottle of water inside your shirt? <laughs> Hello. <laughs> that is funny. He, he thought maybe you didn't know about the aid station. Yeah, maybe. I don't know what he was thinking, but <laughs> what, asked me about it. did you change up anything um, in terms of fueling before running during training? Anything um, on that end? No, I I've always used goo every five miles and I just stuck with that. Mm-hmm. I just 
stayed the same with that. And I usually take a salt tablet too, but like I said, I packed them. So I went without those this time. Mm-hmm. Awesome. And do you, for the most part, run and train by yourself? Yes. I'm part of a running group, but they're always um, like on a different training for a different race. So they're long runs and stuff. They never really work with mine. So I hardly go. Mm-hmm. And on race day two, you run solo. Yeah, I don't run with pacers or anything like that. I just run by myself. Did you actually, speaking of that, did you um, go into it with a specific, like, how do you keep track of pace? Is it with the watch or, you know, sometimes there's those pace bands that people use? Um, No, I don't carry a pace band, but I just, before going in, I know what my average pace has to be. So I just watch my pace. Mm -hmm. And you have like a GPS watch? Yeah, I have a Garmin. Did you change anything in terms of gear this last time? Um, normally, like I said, I run with um, a belt and I carry my phone and I didn't carry any of that. I just, um, I didn't want to carry any extra weight. Mm-hmm. I feel that for sure. I try to keep it as light as possible. That's why I don't, for the most yeah. part, run. That's what I was asking about the water bottle because I have taken a water bottle to a race and like ended up ditching it. Cause I just think I cannot carry this anymore. <laughs> I need to get rid of everything. Well, the only reason I really carry it is so that I can, when I need to go, I have water. Cause sometimes the aid stations aren't in line with when mm-hmm. I want to go. So I don't want to miss that. Mm-hmm. That's the main reason why I carry it. That's what I keep it with me for. So when I need to do it, I can do it. I don't have to wait an extra mile for the water stop. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I feel like you really rocked this race. All There's so much about it that, yeah, it sounds like you did different and it just like all clicked. Do you have any tips for someone that's training for a marathon right now looking to hit a specific time? Um, I don't, I like I said, the biggest thing for me, I don't think there's any secrets. I mean, obviously you have to put the work in. Um, but for me, it was really um, believing in myself and working on my mental game. I was putting the work in, but... I just wasn't uh, being confident enough in myself to uh, and break through those times when, you know, things got rough. I, I would just give in. Mm-hmm. And honestly, like I said, if you don't, if you don't believe in yourself, then you've already failed. I mean, it's hard to have a good race or achieve a PR when you've already convinced yourself that you can't do it. Oh, you, know, you have to trust your training. You have to just get out there, go and do it and, and take chances or you never know what you're capable of doing. I love it. Tendi, you are so awesome. This is like super, super inspirational because it just, there's so much to it that is just very exciting and and very, very inspiring. So after the race, I think after a super hard race, I'm not very hungry, but when you were back to ready for your victory lap, what is your favorite kind of post-race meal or treat? Um, I'm a big sweets person. So, um, Oh, well, after a race, so like you said, I'm not hungry either, but I like to drink chocolate milk. Mm-hmm. That's my favorite thing after a race. But yeah, I'm usually not hungry, but I'm a big sweets person. So I usually, you know, reward myself with some something sweet that I like. Love it. Love it. Did you, what did you do after this race since you were, were you staying in Vegas? Yes. So were you able to have a I, victory uh, party? Did you have a good time? No, I... I headed home right away. Uh, did you really? <laughs> yeah. Headed home right away. Okay, wait. How, like, what did you do to prevent being sore? Oh, I think with these downhill races, that's hard. 
Uh-huh. Like afterwards, you know, Pam and I were texting each other like our legs were buckling. We could hardly walk. I mean, it's hard to like these downhill races are hard, hard yes. on your legs. It's so hard. Yeah. It's very, very yeah, hard. So we someone pretty... asked me, someone asked me recently, um, I just remembered about this and they did the half and they said how I, I just did the Mount Chosen half. I'm so sore. Should I stretch or foam roll? And I went into this big old thing, but I, I said to him, like, you have to try to prevent it. But with downhill races, like it is just, I am the most sore after a downhill half, even over like a hilly full marathon. It's just a downhill. Yeah. Full marathon just wrecks you for a while. Yeah, and then previously when I had ran these downhill races, I had tried to like train on downhill courses, mm-hmm. but that was that's really hard on your body too. I mean, my, my shins were hurting. I mean, downhill racing is just hard on your body, so I found that that was harder than just going out and actually um, doing the race. I mean, so I stopped kind of trying to run on downhill training runs. Mm-hmm. This is very interesting and something that's one of those things, too, because a lot of times you do want to try and mimic the terrain. But yeah, for Mm -hmm. something like this, it's we all need to factor in common sense into our training. Right. And it's like if this is going to be harder on your body or put you at risk or not in a safe position, you know, it's like you you err on the side of kind of have some common sense and you don't want to injure yourself first and foremost, and then you want to try and just right. have a good training cycle. Exactly. I love it. Do you have anything coming up next? Well, like I mentioned, um, my original goal BQ race was Mount Charleston. I mean, I'm sorry, was uh, Mountains to Beach. Mm-hmm. Um, I waited too long to defer the race or to transfer because the half sold out. So I will be running that marathon this weekend. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. And... When do you find out? With no um, goals. With no goals, just to have fun. With no goals, yeah, just to run it. Perfect. And um, when do you kind of find out where the time cutoff is for Boston? Um, registration opens, I believe, I want to say September 10th or so. But this time around, I have a 15-minute cushion, so I'm pretty confident that you I'm are in. I did not realize it was that much of a cushion. <laughs> Congratulations again. And oh Thank yeah, you're you. super in. So you are going to Boston next year. Yeah, with 15 minutes, I think it's going to happen this time. Love it! It's a thousand percent going to happen. That is so exciting. Yeah, I'm pretty excited about it. Finally, the pressure's off. Right, and it's just so like you just really put in the work. You know, like I just feel like it's so rewarding to know that you put in a ton of work and showed up when it counted. Yes. So if people want to follow the journey, mountains to beach and Boston and everything else, how can they follow you on social? Oh, my um, Instagram name is Sandy runs 26.2. And I usually post all my runs and all my races and everything on Instagram. Perfect. Sandy runs 26.2. I will put a link to it in the show notes so everyone can follow you and cheer you on. Okay. Awesome. Thank you so much. Uh, Thank you. Thank you so much, Sandy. I hope that was helpful. I feel like she was so real and open and honest with the things that she did differently and kind of her struggles in the past. So I hope you learned something. I really appreciate talking with her. 
You can follow her on Instagram. She is at SandyRuns26.2. And I will put a link to her Instagram as well as some pictures in the show notes. Now, let's get to the awards. First place for today goes to my current favorite podcast, the Heather McDonald podcast. What is it called? Juicy Scoop with Heather McDonald. That's what it is. And I feel like I kind of recently discovered it and have been catching up on old episodes. And I am digging the heck out of it because, first of all, I don't have any friends. Second of all, I don't have any friends that watch reality TV. Third of all, I don't have any friends that watch reality TV and also want to listen to podcasts. So I'm thinking that maybe one or two of you out there, what happened to listen to podcasts like you are right now and are into reality TV and or already listen to her show and then we can talk about it. But I got really excited because I'm kind of picking and choosing, like I'm jumping around the past episodes and a couple of them have been wildly entertaining. So I am digging that for sure. Second place goes to iced tea. This is my new favorite thing is to make iced tea and put some lemon or lime in it along with sweetener and mint. Oh my gosh, I found mint leaves at the 99 and I was super excited about it because it looks very fancy. Put lemon and mint in water. Hello, super fancy. So I'm digging that. And kind of along with this, third place goes to cherries at the 99 cent store because those mofos are expensive. Hello. And they're actually good ones. Last week, there were cherries at the 99. I can tell right away. I am not someone that needs to eat a grape or a cherry at the store, even though I see people do it all the time. I can tell if they're good or not by looking at them. I don't need to do that. And last week, they had cherries. And I knew. I was like, nope. Even if they're 99 cents, it's 99 cents per pound of trash. These are not going to be good. Then I went a couple days ago and I could tell they were amazing. Oh, wait, I'm lying. They're $1.99 a pound. Now that because I was like, they're amazing. And then I saw the sign up. I'm like taking myself back to that moment as I turned the corner towards the grocery items and saw the cherries. They're $1.99. But you know what? Still amazing price and they're really good. So those are the things that I am loving right now. And message me, leave a comment in the show notes at runningrepeat.com if you like any of those things too. And finally, if you have a question for me, send it on over. We can talk about running, eating, hello, new podcasts, cherries, whatever. Just let me know. You can leave a voicemail on the RER podcast voicemail line. That is 562-888-1644. Or you can email me run, eat, repeat at gmail.com. I love talking about all these things, which is why I have this podcast. So I think a lot of times people message me and they're very apologetic about it. I know you're busy. I don't want to bug. And I'm like, bug me. Didn't I just go on a rant about how I don't have any friends? That's why I'm chatting with you about the Heather McDonald juicy scoop. Yeah, I'm open. And that's all for today. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great run. Thank you for listening to the Run, Eat, Repeat podcast. For more information, check out runeatrepeat.com.